the Archegos margin call story keeps on giving, and the state of the crypto union. I'm Ryan, that's Brian, and these are your investment headlines from the last seven days. Headline number one, the state of the crypto union. All right, there's been a lot of uh, headlines in terms of the overall crypto market. And uh, so I wanted to cover some of the kind of the state of affairs of crypto right now and, and where we're at. So first of all, uh-huh. this week, uh, the, the total market cap for crypto passed $2 trillion. Whoa, wait, is, wasn't it just at a trillion like a month ago? Uh, yeah, it's about about three months ago it doubled its market cap whoa so things are crazy things are starting to boom you're starting to see more institutional adoption and uh so yeah and and what's significant too if you remember a few months back there had been some quote by some investor famous investor i'm being very vague here i don't remember the specifics okay (laughs) but someone said how um, there's an expectation, I think it was a survey, there's an expectation that a lot of institutional money would start to enter the crypto space once the total market cap hit $2 trillion because that would uh, be a sign of legitimacy for, for crypto. Mm. And so that was like the, the, the mark that a lot of supposedly uh, institutional investors were looking for. And so we've we finally passed that mark. So we'll see what is the, the outcome of that, um, but because of this kind of rise in market cap, we also have for the first time ever the top 100 crypto uh, currencies are now at over a billion dollars in market cap, which huh. is pretty pretty huge as well. I mean, it was just you know again like three months ago it was like the top 20, top 30 were over a billion dollars, and now top 100 are over a billion dollars. So wow, things are really starting to grow quickly in that side of things do you feel like that amount of growth is a good thing or do you think it makes you more nervous about about the crypto world all in all i i think it's a good thing because like you know like that survey was saying i think it gives legitimacy to cryptocurrency as a legitimate investment and so i think the more um, money that's flowing in i i think in the long term, it's going to be a good thing for for the prices. So I'm sure you've gotten lots of these maybe texts or phone calls in the past, Ryan. I, I'm a little bit newer to crypto. So when I share with any of my family, you know, hey, I'm invested in crypto, usually I get some different responses. So today, tonight, I got a, a text from my dad and I thought I would share it. Uh, nothing against my dad. I love my dad. Uh, so he says, did you read about how the government may outlaw owning Bitcoin or other cryptocurrency? The government doesn't like the fact of having an alternative competing currency just like they did with gold when gold was being used in alternative currency. All these cryptocurrency owners are going to get creamed. I hope you sold Whoa. all your shares in it. It is like casino gambling. Whoa. <laughs> so my dad is... Not a fan, I guess. Sounds like it. I haven't responded. But, I mean, maybe he's right, you know? Maybe he'll be right. Obviously, it's not a... He thinks it's kind of a new thing that they just came out to say this. And I was like, is there any new news? So I went and, like, checked and couldn't find anything. And and so it just kind of goes to show, like, a lot of the people that aren't familiar with the crypto world where 
they're bringing up different arguments that have obviously been, you know, talked about endlessly. And so I just thought it was kind of interesting. I'm sure I'm sure you've had tons of that kind of uh, experience, right, Ryan? I actually haven't really. Not really. You I, haven't. I, I, I've had people tell me, you know, I need to get out of that Ponzi scheme, but I haven't really had too much <laughs> of that kind of thing. The thing is, so I think what with the news that your dad may have heard was all based on this one investor, this one random guy who decided to say there's a very good chance that the government bans Bitcoin. And he has no proof to suggest that. He's just, you know, just he's just throwing that out there. And so a lot of Yeah, so a lot of news agencies took that and ran with it. But the fact is this FUD has been around for a long time. Oh uh, yeah. Of people saying that Bitcoin would be banned. And it's of course it's possible, right? But totally. You've now reached a market cap of over a trillion dollars and then the government is going to, to ban it? Like that would be such a huge blow to a lot of investors. And then how can you ban a decentralized currency? Like yeah. you can ban the centralized exchanges from dealing with it, but then you can't ban people from still using it in a decentralized way. That's the whole point of the decentralized currency. And I guess you could, again, make it considered a legal activity, but I, I don't know. I, it's definitely possible. I, I just, I don't know. That, that kind of stuff has been around for a long time, though. Totally. And, and even people, I, I mean, it's not as common, but I even hear some people talk about the stock market that way, that it's just a big Ponzi scheme, you know, and, you know, you're going to lose all your money and it's going to crash one day, right? I mean, it, anytime you put money in some kind of asset that has some speculation and some risk, you know, you're going to have to go into it knowing, yes, like I am putting this money at risk. There is a chance, even if it was a company, right? They could, something could terribly go wrong in their business and all of a sudden, they're out of business, right? Yeah. But it doesn't stop us from investing it, even though it has risks, you know? And so I think that's kind of goes back to our whole philosophy of like, well, don't put money, you know, that you're not willing to risk, right? And lose, uh, essentially. Yeah, for sure. And, and you think about one thing that I always go back to when people bring up something like that is I talk about, you know, I bring up some of the biggest names in the tech industry, like Google, IBM, Amazon, they're all building on Ethereum, and so banning cryptocurrency is going to affect some of the largest companies. Yeah. And what is the, what is the point of banning it? So I, I don't know. I, I just I just have a hard time seeing the government actually ever doing that. Yeah, and it makes me think, wonder, you know, maybe this $2 trillion market cap is one step closer to for people to start realizing, hey, this isn't going away. This isn't just like a little fad thing. Like this is going to be integrated into some form of you know our society we don't know how big I don't, i'm not saying that it's going to be the currency of the world right but you know it's going to be at least incorporated in some form similar to like gold you know and so we yeah. just don't know how how big of a spectrum it's going to be on exactly and and the bigger it gets the more money that comes in like like i guess we're both saying it, it sounds like it's a good thing but it does put um kind of a bigger focus bring bring it more into the focus of people's attention right yeah. it, it's no longer living in the shadows it's front and center for people to to know about um the the larger this market cap grows and so the more um more scrutiny it's going to get and you know you're seeing it with ethereum and with bitcoin in terms of the um how wasteful it is with energy and mining and resources and all that stuff 
a lot of people are turning their attention towards that because crypto in general is under the microscope right now. And yeah. the larger it gets, the more it's going to be scrutinized. But that doesn't necessarily mean the more at risk it becomes. Totally. I get it. You know, if if the stock market were to double in three months, you know, the market cap of the stock market, <laughs> I would probably have some questions and some, you know, <laughs> some reservations as well. Right. I think it's perfectly normal when something is growing that quickly to be put under the microscope and be, you know, some of these different FUD stories coming out. Yep, for sure. Uh, and, and another type of news related to the state of crypto. There's been an interesting trend that's been going on. So I wanted to kind of talk about that really briefly here. Uh, have you heard about alt season, Brian? Have I talked to you about alt season? I know you've mentioned it, but I don't know very much about it. Yeah, so alt season is where, uh, so you have Bitcoin, and then you have any other kind of cryptocurrency, which is called an altcoin, like an alternative right. to Bitcoin. So typically, the crypto market goes in cycles, and usually you have a Bitcoin cycle where Bitcoin's doing outpacing the market, and then you have an alt season where all the altcoins are outperforming Bitcoin. Okay. And uh, so recently, we've had this the, the trend switch to where we've entered more of an alt season. So Bitcoin is kind of stagnating below sixty thousand. Um, and, but, but a lot of altcoins, Ethereum's leading the charge, but a lot of altcoins are really doing well compared to Bitcoin. And so something to watch, a trend to watch, um, is the Bitcoin to Ethereum or rather Bitcoin dominance of the market. So this is a metric that some crypto traders use. It's basically what percentage is Bitcoin's market cap, uh, compared to the entire crypto market cap. And and so you can kind of gauge the dominance of Bitcoin that way. Historically, Bitcoin has performed pretty well, but recently it has been dipping. And it's gotten down to, I think right now it's around 56% dominance. And it's been falling and falling. Um, and there's a support at about 52 to 53%. And so that's 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 a trend. If you're into technical analysis, be watching mm. for that Bitcoin dominance to bounce around 52%, and then you may see Bitcoin get a little leg up and start performing well. But but that, that's just another kind of macro trend we're looking at um, in on the crypto side of things. Uh, is is uh, that Bitcoin dominance has been stagnant or dropping? And so right now you want to be invested in altcoins. But once that 52% dominance level gets hit, I think it'll be time to consider going back a little bit into Bitcoin. Interesting. It, it kind of reminds me of like the stock market about breadth, you know, in the market. Breadth. Like we have, yeah, so like uh, you have like the, the FANG names, you know, Facebook, Amazon, mm -hmm. Netflix, Google, right? They are make up a huge part of the overall stock market. And so when they're rallying and nothing else is rallying, a lot of people have like, uh, they're skeptical of like, oh, this is just you know, these names holding up the market, basically, you know, but eventually you're going to have to have some breadth, you know, others participating to kind of pass the baton to, you know, mm, so they yep. can start making it go another leg higher. It sounds like it's kind of similar where Bitcoin does most of the heavy lifting, but at the same time for crypto to continue up on this trajectory, they got to pass the baton and have some other others participate in it sounds like that's what's happening exactly yeah 
Yeah, I think that's a good analogy of that. And, and one last interesting trend that's going on here is, is you know, like I just talked about alt season, but there's also in the last week been a movement for hashtag dino season or dinosaur season, where a lot of these dinosaur chains or these old blockchains that haven't really done anything are suddenly uh, starting to perform really well. And so there's some of them are names we talked about in the past, like XRP has been performing really well this week. <laughs> um, there's, uh, I don't, I think we talked about EOS. We talked about uh, Tron is performing really oh, well. Yeah. So a lot of these older coins that people have kind of, you know, have been kind of meh on because they're kind of older and have lost their shine have done really well this week. So that's something else to look for is these these older coins and just, just keeping an eye on them because they may be waking up uh, from, from the dead seemingly. And this this goes on so far as, do you remember, we talked about Jed McCaleb, who was the XRP Ripple, Ripple founder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like left them and went off to form his own cryptocurrency, which yeah, was, was called... Cardano? No. He went off one? to form Stellar, which was Stellar. XLM. Oh, okay. So XLM has been kind of a dino uh, crypto as well, but recently it's been performing really well. And even so much that today... The, block, the entire blockchain went down for hours at a time where no one could use the network. And the price of the coin kept rising, like as if, like as if people didn't care. So there's a lot, a lot of speculation going on with these <laughs> older coins. People don't care if the blockchain's even working. They're going to be investing in it. So There's no news or anything like that coming out with like new revitalized ideas with that coin or anything like that nope it's the same old i think i think what's spurring the charge is xrp is really gaining a lot and so a lot uh, of the coins of that kind of generation uh are doing well as along with back time yeah and xrp's is because of how well it seems to be performing in court against the sec um from what we're hearing it seems like ripple is doing a very good job at the in that court case so I think that's what it's tied to. I'm not entirely sure. It could just be a product of alt season, but some interesting things to to be looking for in the crypto side of investing. Headline number two, Archegos margin call story keeps on giving. All right, so Ryan, so if you remember from last week's headliners, we talked about the hedge fund Archegos Capital Yes. And how they were speculating on a few stocks like Discovery and Viacom and they how they got margin called as, as those stocks blew up in their face. Do you remember that? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Well, we keep finding out more facts about the story as we thought we would. And I wanted to share some details from a CNBC article that I think you'll find interesting. Okay. <laughs> so to refresh your memory... I believe Archegos, you know, this this hedge fund uh, family office, right, right, had five prime brokers that they were borrowing money from to buy on margin, right? So they're, some of them were like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Credit Suisse or Suisse, and like a few other international banks. And from this article, we found out that Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs did some pretty sketchy stuff during this whole process to try to avoid <laughs> massive losses. Go figure. Yeah. So apparently the story of Archegos and like what was going on 
uh, didn't get released to the public until Friday, March 26th. But leading up to Friday, these stocks that Arkegos held, you know, were already taking a big hit, right? People were just probably speculating on why it was happening. They didn't really know exactly. Hmm. So Thursday, before the margin call news was released to the public, Morgan Stanley was trying to sell $5 billion worth of stock that they held for this Arkegos, you know, hedge fund to other hedge funds at a discount. And they said that it was because of a margin call they were a part of, and it was to prevent one of the one of their clients from collapsing, right? Hmm. What they didn't tell these hedge funds was that there was a pretty good chance that Archegos wasn't going to have the capital needed to avoid the margin call and that they would probably have to sell their whole position the next day. Uh, okay. <laughs> and that this information was going to be released to the public the next day. So they were essentially trying to <laughs> unload a boatload of shares to these hedge funds before it crashed even more the next day, which it which it did. The next day, some of the stocks dropped by another 25 to 30%. Oh. And apparently Goldman Sachs was doing the same thing because these hedge fund, you know, hedge funds that were buying it from Morgan Stanley bought more from Goldman Sachs at a little bit more of a discount or a little bit, you know, less per share. Um, anyway, it, I guess Credit Suisse, they didn't have very much luck in doing that. <laughs> Only Goldman Sachs and, and uh, Morgan Stanley because they had massive losses. Like, I think they had like $10 billion that they were exposed to with the stocks, like as far as risk. And they lost like, I think it was like over $5 billion or something like that. Oh. So if... They're saying that if Morgan Stanley didn't do this, like didn't unload all these shares right before another huge leg lower, um, then they would have been exposed to like eight to ten billion dollars in losses, which they didn't have very much losses from this at all, uh, which would have been a massive loss, right? I mean, like Credit Suisse, their stock like plummeted like I want to say like twenty percent or more uh, because of the losses they made. So, I mean, you would think, like, why would they do that? Why would they, like, because these hedge funds are their clients, basically, right? They're yeah. the ones, like, that they sell a lot of stock and, like, do deals with and stuff like that. But, and you'd think that these, you know, hedge funds would be like, what the crap? Like, we're never going to do business with you again. But that's the thing, is that it's not going to stop these hedge funds from working with Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs because they want to be a part of the hot IPO market that Morgan Stanley issues these IPOs, right? And so if they get on bad terms with Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, then they may not be able to participate in these IPOs. So hmm. kind of interesting. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be, it's got to have the SEC involved with this, I would imagine, because that's really, really jacked up for Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs to do something like that. I'm sure the Reddit crowd is probably loving how this <laughs> hedge fund right. managers are having these huge losses after <laughs> buying it off of Morgan Stanley. But it's, it's, it's it just, uh, for me, it just uh, reiterates that this system's rigged, man. Oh. Like, this shouldn't be able to happen where they're trying to sell stock before it's released to the public and, like, trying to, uh, it's just sketchy, you know? It just... 
and, taste bad in my mouth. And I'm sure this happens more often than we know, right? This, oh, this seems yeah. way too easy for them to do for it not to happen more often. So what is what exactly is illegal in this? Do you know like the the boundaries? Me. Is there anything I, that will keep them from doing this again? Like what 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 stops this? Well, I mean that's that's the question, right? I think a lot of people are that's why they call for more regulation a lot of times, you know, investors are like, "Oh, we got to get this more regulated." And which I see the point with that, right? Because you don't want crazy stuff like this happening where all these banks investment bankers have these so much leverage and power where yeah. they can basically just get out of any bad investment they do, you know, by just dumping it on everybody else. So there, I mean, yeah, sorry. Because ahead. like the natural checks and balances of the system would be that the hedge funds just wouldn't go to these banks, but yeah, but they have all, like you're saying, they have the power with IPOs. There's just too much centralized power in those banks. And so totally. you, you don't have that natural check on their power. Yeah, I know. It, it's a it's a hard debate because it's like you can see how it's just a abuse of power and, you know, a lot of people in Congress want to limit that power and, and uh, make sure it's regulated. But then you have the other side that says, hey, we want a free market. We want to deregulate. You know, it's, it, it's just a it's a tough, tough thing to navigate, I, I feel like. But kind of crazy. I'm I'm sure we're gonna see more and more from this story to start unraveling over the over the weeks. It's gonna be. I'm sure they'll create some kind of documentary around it or something. It'll be the sequel to the Wall Street Bets documentary. They'll just exactly create a whole sequel of it. Headline number three: Blockchains are making vaccine passports possible. One of the the top debates that I have been reading a lot about because it's kind of bleeding over into my uh, sphere of interest is the idea behind creating a vaccine passport, which mm. has to do with, uh, you know, the pandemic, COVID-19. And it's basically t- trying to tackle a way of, uh, uh, you know, creating a, a reliable, verifiable way to show that people have been vaccinated against the virus, or at least they have recently tested negative against the virus. And, and so I can imagine a lot of, you know, important use cases for this kind of thing. Like, for example, uh, you know, with airlines and say you have to, you know, to get on a, an airplane, you have to be able to prove that either you've been vaccinated or you have recently tested negative. Or, for example, going to a sports event and, uh, you know, being able to buy a ticket, you have to show either, again, vaccination status or a recent negative test. There's a lot of cases for this for us. If we want to get back to, you know, return to normal life, I can see the appeal of some kind of vaccine passport like this. But one of the problems with our current technologies is is it's it's not either it's not privacy focused or um it's it's too easy to 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 modify and to change and to hack and you know whatever. And so right now when you get vaccinated, you get, you know, a, a piece of paper that's supposed right. to say that you've been vaccinated. And so this is where they're looking into blockchain technology as well as distributed ledger technology, which is very similar to blockchain, uh, in order to provide a way to verify all of this, provide a very reliable source of, credible source of, of verification of your status in regards to COVID-19. And so what this would look like is, you know, you could actually... Um, there's what's called decentralized storage, 
where you can store people's medical information related to vaccination or testing statuses. You can store these on decentralized servers across the globe, and they are encrypted so that your medical information is safe. Uh, and then it can be you know, accessed in a decentralized way so that if these apps that, for example, sell tickets need to check on your status, they would only have access to your information regarding if you are true or false vaccinated or true or false tested negative recently. And so it's, it provides a way to, you know, verify your status without, you know, uh, losing your sense of privacy and also, you know, has a decentralized taste. So there are some some proposals out there, and I don't know exactly how they're going to end up doing it. It looks like New York is doing one way uh, where they're using a private uh, distributed ledger. Uh, they're relying on IBM to run it, and it's kind of they're kind of treating it like a black box, which makes me a little concerned with how exactly they're going to handle everyone's data if it's if IBM is actually running it. So it's not really decentralized. Anyway, there's a lot of different, this is obviously a hot debate. And so, Brian, I would throw it at you. What do you feel about some kind of a system like this, a vaccine passport? And, uh, you know, how do you see that playing out in the future? Well, I mean, I, I like it as long as it's able, like you said, to do it confidentially, you know, not getting access to other information that really shouldn't be viewed. Uh, but I think that's that's awesome, you know, like, because I, I can imagine just with our current system with this piece of paper, right? I mean, what what's like you really think people are going to be checking that very, very like, hey, pull out your ID and let's see if your name's written correctly on your vaccine page. You know, they're just right. going to see you flashing it at the door and say, oh, okay, come on in, you know? So it's like people can just pass their vaccine cards to people, other people who haven't been vaccinated and to say, oh, just use mine and they'll get, right. they'll get exactly. you in or whatever. Right. How and easy so, is it to, to fake a vaccine card? Like you're saying, like, or right. no one's going to be checking the, the manufacturing lot. And if you actually, you know, verifying that you actually got that vaccine that it says you got. Right. So I like that, but I mean, I could see how this could bring up a whole slew of problems where, you know, what about discrimination, right? What if what if certain companies say, hey, well, you're not allowed to go on our cruise or our airplane unless you've been vaccinated and you can prove that and go under our, you know, blockchain technology system. And, and so a lot of people, I would imagine, would get very upset with that, especially people that, you know, don't really take the, the you know, the uh, COVID seriously and things like that. But for me right. personally, I think it could be, hugely successful and like it's currently in our world right now like we have some issues right now that could be solved with that that i think this could be a good test run of how to how to make that successful for sure i i love the concept of it i i think it is a wonderful idea it can alleviate a lot of stress and you know it, it also paves the way like you're saying it's got like a test run it paves the way for future pandemics or future situations like what we're going through now where you already have this system in place for you to, you know, add, you know, whatever you need to verify about a person, you could do it in a decentralized way. It even, even if people don't really care about who's been vaccinated, like, let's say that you have somebody that's like, I don't care if anybody gets vaccinated, I'm going on an airplane, whether I know that or not. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. 
But what about those people that are concerned? You know, like what if you are, you know, they have some some pre-existing condition that makes it you're more susceptible to having a, you know, bad response to COVID, you know, like how awesome would it be to provide a system where, you know, you can go uh, book your flight and then on the on the website, it shows, hey, this flight is has been 87 percent vaccinated, you know, mm-hmm. and like giving statistics to, you know, whether you want to use that information or not, that's totally fine. But for people that do like looking at those things and it is important to them that might provide some peace of mind, then I think that could be a great way to provide that. For sure. And people have always treated blockchain like it's a, a useless, overhyped technology. <laughs> uh, I've, I've read so many articles about people saying stuff like that. But this, I think, is one way that blockchain type technology could really benefit uh, how we how we do this kind of verification. Um, totally. And um, and so I think I think there's that big caveat though is of it needs to be done correctly because yes. like you're saying there's all this these these issues that could arise and I think it seems the way I don't want to get political but it seems like how New York is doing it doesn't feel like the right way to go about it because they're 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 straying away from that decentralized mindset and trying to keep it more of a, a private ledger that IBM is running and so you're you're having all these sorts of you're still relying on a centralized source yeah. to manage your data and to you know you're trusting them with all your your medical information so I think it needs to be done right but I think the idea of it I I'm all for I think you know if we had had this kind of uh, system in place uh, months ago we could have been coming out of we could have been returning to more of a normal life sooner had we known totally. this kind of stuff and had this information available. Yeah, and who knows what, like you said, who knows what kind of, you know, pandem- t- pandemics we might go through in the future. So we got to have a system where we don't skip a heartbeat, you know, as soon as something like that, if it does happen, then we have a good, good way to combat that. Exactly. Headline number four, the yays and nays of this year's April Fool's antics. April Fool's is one of my favorite times of year just to see the creative creativity that companies have um, because there's always, you know, those those companies that reliably produce some some pretty good April Fool's content, some pranks, some jokes. Google is always one of my favorites uh, because they they go all out in making different games and turning Google Maps into Pac-Man. I don't know if you've ever done those kind no. of things. And you could like zoom in on Google Maps to like your street and then it would turn all the roads into like a, a pathway for Pac-Man to travel on and you play like a game of Pac-Man. Anyway, really interesting stuff that Google has done. They haven't done it for the past couple of years because of the pandemic, but um, there's always some companies doing this kind of stuff. And so in the crypto space, it's the exact same. You're still You're still getting companies that are trying to you know, use this as an opportunity for free marketing. So the first one, one of the biggest ones that kind of came out of left field was the Teletubbies. We're using <laughs> Bitcoin and April Fool's mashing them together. And so the day before, uh, the day before April Fool's, I saw on my Twitter timeline a post from the Teletubbies headquarters, which I didn't even know Teletubbies <laughs> were still around. Yeah, <laughs> but the official Teletubbies account posted a picture that said, "Oh, what could the Teletubbies be possibly hiding from us?" 
Stay tuned for something big this week. Hashtag Bitcoin. And then it showed pictures of the Teletubbies in their creepy outfits with the laser eyes that we talked about. Oh, man. And so then, of course, you know, what What was the big reveal? So on April Fool's Day, um, <laughs> uh, they revealed that the, the Teletubbies had come up with their own cryptocurrency called the Tubby Coin. <laughs> And uh, the more you, and it was supposed to represent the value of a quote unquote big hug, because I guess Teletubbies are into hugging each other. Yeah, don't you remember, Ryan? I, I all don't. All years you watched it? Uh, all I remember is the little vacuum. There's like a little oh, vacuum yeah. robot. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they would watch a video on each other's stomachs. Anyways. And they would say again, again. Again, again. No, not again. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So anyway, this this cryptocurrency, the Tubby Coin, was in fact fake, and they're they're doing it for a good cause. Though I guess there was some charity linked to it, and so the more you shared the tweets, they donated some money or something. I don't know. I didn't really care about that side of things, Um, but uh, that was an interesting kind of out of the blue usage of April Fools to get some marketing. Um, there's some other ones though. So a company called Flipkart, which I had never heard of. Um, I think it's like a online payment system or online shopping or something, but they announced, okay. and this one I don't really get, uh, but this one they announced that they are officially accepting Bitcoin as a means of payment on their app. And so at first glance, it doesn't really feel like an April fool's joke. Yeah. That's like, that's the direction companies are going. <laughs> that's where everyone's going. I guess I think I think Flipkart is like founded or originated in India. I think it's like India's uh, top online retailer. So I think that's the joke because India's going through a lot of struggles with uh, government bans. <laughs> yeah. So I assume that's where the April Fools comes in. But uh, if I had just seen that on Twitter, I would have just been like, "Oh, okay, cool. Oh, all right, <laughs> right. Just another company switching to Bitcoin." Um, there's a crypto exchange called Bitfinex and they announced that they're coming out with their own, um, chain of pizza restaurants in honor of Bitcoin pizza day. If you remember Bitcoin pizza day, that was when, uh, some dude Laszlo oh, bought yeah, yeah. Uh, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. What day was that? Uh, Bitcoin Pizza Day is May 22nd, I think. Oh, okay. It's in May okay. sometime. But anyway, so they were going to come out with their own chain of pizza restaurants, call it Bitfinitza. And uh, they had a, had a whole marketing campaign on that. And, uh, and Some then, of these ideas I feel like they should actually do <laughs> instead of joking about it. Right. But the thing is, I, I feel like uh, by taking advantage of April Fool's, they get the marketing from it that they would have gotten yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then they don't have to actually go through the work of actually implementing it. So Yeah, and spending the money. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then the last one I wanted to highlight here uh, was KuCoin. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's KuCoin is, is a known for um, their crypto gems, is what they call it, where you can really, if you're a speculator, you tend to hang out on Q, uh, KuCoin to buy their um, really low market cap coins is what they specialize in. Anyways, so they announced that they're coming out with their own token called the Suez, the Suez token in honor of the Suez Canal. Ah. And the idea was that just like how a lot of cryptocurrencies incentivize miners to run the network, they were going to use the coin to incentivize uh, the people working on the Suez Canal to dig up the boat faster. 
and to help recover the, the the that large shipping boat, help it uh, unblock the Suez Canal faster by incentivizing them with this token. Didn't it get un- unblocked uh, like before before April Fools? It, it did, but they're so saying they're a little behind. They're a little behind. I think they're hoping it would still be stuck in the canal. But <laughs> but they did say also that they were they're hoping that this token would prevent such an incident from happening in the future uh, or at least incentivizing the people working it to dig it up faster in the future. <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't, um, Chipotle do something for April fools? They did. And I don't know if you did the game, Brian, the Bitcoin's a burrito. I did it. Yeah, I did it. I didn't get anything. I won nothing. Yeah. My, my wife got uh, free queso. Hey, but I, I think you have to buy an entree with it, so it's like not not even not even a free thing. I mean, queso chips and queso is like two dollars or something, but you have to buy a full entree. You have to go buy something. Oh, that's hilarious! So I was disappointed. I was so hyped for that, and uh, nothing. Well, the only one I heard of for uh, stock on the stock side for April Fool's jokes, I'm sure there were several, but was a uh, Volkswagen, mm. and they. <laughs> Did April Fool's joke that they were changing the name of their U.S. operations to Volkswagen of America. <laughs> okay. And it was to, they said to raise awareness about the company's all-electric, you know, SUV, you know. And so hmm. apparently, like, people were convinced, like, this was happening. Like, reporters were asking, like, Volkswagen uh, spokesmen's, like, hey, is this true? And they're saying, yeah, it's totally true. And they were going to brand their EV vehicles with, a, like, a Volkswagen logo on it. And okay. if you didn't get a EV car, it would just have the normal Volkswagen label on it. And hmm. apparently it was all false. And a lot of people were extremely ups- upset and, like, Hey, that's not really funny. Like people are wondering <laughs> if the SEC should be involved because of like the stock price if it was affected at all. Oh. So it kind of backfired on them, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like a missed opportunity. That that really should have been a real thing. Right, right. Well, it sounds like believable, yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably not something you wanted to joke about <laughs> when it's like that believable, you know? Yeah, and and I know in general a lot of people are getting sick of April Fool's jokes. I'm not. I'm I'm here for the April Fool's jokes. But I think it's it's companies that like Volkswagen that do jokes like that where people are just like, eh, this. You flew too close to the sun. Exactly. You know? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> to, to... You're you're gonna be that dad that like pranks your kids aren't you ryan oh absolutely every yeah. single year so excited i'm so excited for the teenage years when my daughters are teenagers and i'll just be pranking them all right we'll call that a wrap thanks for listening to this episode of the fool's gold podcast if you'd like more fool's gold content check us out on the socials on twitter facebook or instagram at fool's gold that's g-o-a-l-e-d and we'll see you over there but until next time brian i'll talk to you later See you later.